0: Hello, I'm Brett Gilliland,
1: host of the Circuit of Success podcast, and here's what's coming up on the show.
0: I found myself being a part of conversations, uh, you know, on tour. You know, you bring up live, you bring up all these different things. Like, man, I have nothing to do with that, so I'm not really going to mess around with it. And it sort of just found to be more and more applicable, and it just came to I want to I want to deal with problems that deal with me, <laughs> and not deal with anything like. You know, outside of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, between my wife, you know, my family, and my career, and kind of all those things are intertwined. And that's kind of how it started. And so now I figured out a way to make that applicable to everything.
1: Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host Brett Gilliland, and today, I, you know, I'm pretty fired up when I'm on these things. But today, as the golfer that I am, I get to interview PGA guy Scott Stallings.
0: What's up, Scott? How are you? <laughs> Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thanks for being here. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been a great year for Scott Stallings, hasn't it?
0: It's been a pretty good year. Yeah, and I would to your listeners, uh, they need to understand your persistence and patience uh, with my schedule. And uh, you know, I I was not trying to be elusive by any means, but my schedule is definitely uh, very unique, and my I try to put all these things in you know one kind of time frame. So appreciate you bearing with me and absolutely anyone that listens, like he's definitely putting in the effort to try to get people on here. So, I, and I can definitely, I can definitely appreciate that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I call it pleasantly persistent. I've done that for 21 years, you know, building a business and uh, spending two decades of, uh, you know, early on, especially man, when you're calling people, you got to stay pleasantly persistent, life, don't you? know I think that American flag behind you says effort and attitude. So, if you don't have yeah, the right attitude. Bit. You don't put in the effort and whether you're on the PGA tour, you're in wealth management, you're making bourbon, whatever it is, uh, which we'll talk about, you got to put in the effort. So I appreciate it, man. And appreciate you staying with us. But if you could just, you know, for our listeners, give us a little lay of the land, what what Scott Stallings is about. What's made you the man you are today?
0: Well, <laughs> a lot of things have made me who I am today. Uh, probably uh, my wife, my kids. My um, wife, Jennifer, we just celebrated our 15th year wedding yeah that's right 15th uh, <laughs> anniversary um i have a, a six-year-old daughter millie and a nine-year-old son finn um so you know as a as a husband and a father kind of gives perspective on you know kind of keeping you grounded and um i i have one of the best stories i have from i mean i just spent i play on the pga tour I know you just mentioned that, but I just had the best season of my career. And one of my favorite stories of the of the season is I played at the tour championship and my son came and he decided he was going to watch every day, which is super weird for him. He's like a nine hole kid and like, I'm going to go have some snacks. I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> And so for whatever reason, he watched and I shot, I shot three over one day, I shot 73. And it was like real sketchy. Like it, sh- it could have easily been 80. I mean it was just kind of everywhere of those days. and and we have one of these pictures we had a buddy of ours that does some social media and pictures for us and I like Finn comes and gives me a hug and it looks like this super super sweet moment between a father and a son and he said you played so bad today
1: <laughs> that's awesome you are a driver in half and he's talking about how yeah. bad you're playing
0: yeah, nothing like a nine-year-old perspective to keep you grounded and understanding that, you know, well, you know, while I am playing in one of the hardest tournaments in the world to qualify for, and the fact that, well, there's only 29 of us and just kind of how we start, but uh, a nice perspective to kind of understand that, you know, hey, I'm still dad, uh, you know, and, you know, kind of what I do on the grass doesn't necessarily define me as soon as I walk out, but that was definitely one of my favorite stories from the season. That's great.
1: That's great. Can you, I mean, I'm going to dive in on some questions, just stuff that, you know, if I ever have an opportunity to talk to somebody like you, I, I just, I find that the, what I would call me the, the pinch me moments, right? That you, you grow up, you were a, a, you know, Tennessee Tech. We talked about that before we started recording. You know, I played at Eastern, you played at Tennessee Tech, same conference. Uh, obviously, your outcome was a little different than mine on the golf <laughs> and, uh But that's okay. But anyway, we you know, just those pinch me moments, man, when I get to go play a nice golf course. But you're doing that, you know, every week that you choose to play on tour. My question is that drive down Magnolia Lane, man, for those golfers that know what I'm talking about, that Masters, you make that turn in there. Can you tell me what that's like?
0: I mean, it's definitely very surreal. Um, I had an opportunity to play. I graduated Tech in 07, and I had an opportunity to go play in 2009, and I turned it down. And everyone's like, ah, you know, you're big time in Augusta. It's like, no, like, I think as a professional golfer, like, that's something that's earned mm. and not something that's ever taken for granted. And who, who knew? I mean, I, I, I never knew if I was ever going to have a chance to go. And I ended up having a chance to go to the tournament, not play the the, the course. but. You know, just kind of being there and kind of – I remember taking pictures of the golf course and and kind of just in my mind just imagining like watching guys prepare and different things like that. And so 2011, I win my rookie year and I have an opportunity to go. And Tennessee is unique in the fact that like the starter on number one, Toby Wilt, is is a lives in Nashville. And so they do a pretty cool uh, trip for first-time Masters participants where they bring you and they give you a chance to like – And I mean, the whole experience, you stay overnight, you do everything and and just sort of get you comfortable with just the everything that is Augusta National. And, you know, you earn the opportunity to play and participate in the tournament. But also, you know, if you don't go and do all that other stuff, you're it's hard to do both at the same time. Enjoy the course. Enjoy the tournament. But then you're trying to play and prepare, too. So it's kind of hard to do both at one time. So they kind of do something to kind of help you get through that, which is amazing. And I remember the first time we got got there at night, had dinner, uh, kind of did our thing. And then we were going to play first thing in the morning. And if people want to – you talk about your pinch me moment. One of the hardest prayers I've ever said in my entire life was in the back of the clubhouse the next day. And it was like a three-hour frost delay. So you're uh-huh. finally getting a chance to play. You know, get, We're going to be there for two days. And I walk out. And I'm like, we're not playing today. I mean, like, you could just see the frost, like an inch thick. And <laughs> like, man, what's going to happen? So, thankfully, you know, the frost burned off. We ended up having a beautiful day. But at the time, uh, you know, they they were sending, just because there's so many people, they were sending people off one and ten, uh, which is kind of rare there. But I was I wanted to play from number one all the way to 18 and kind of just get it over with. And as far as like my first round and then I was going to go to work. Lauren Roberts uh, was my playing host, you know, kind of show you around as far as, hey, you need to pay attention to this, which is incredible, because I've had the chance to go now a couple times with some different guys on their first time. And more just, man, enjoy the course for the first time. Don't think about playing the tournament. Just think about all you did to kind of get in, and the opportunity that what it took for you to get to this moment. And then it's like, all right, then we can kind of go to work and start thinking about all the different, all the other stuff that kind of goes into it. But Lauren was with me. We get ready to hit, and then there was this voice that was pretty recognizable that was behind me. Um, so this is December of 2011, and this guy said, "Son, here, it's your first time. Let's see what you have." And it was Arnie.
1: Oh no way! And,
0: and I mean, it was, there was four dudes on a T box: me, Lauren Roberts, Arnie, and this random person who. I have no idea who it was because all I saw was him. (laughs) And, like, I always joke that with a lot of guys, especially when they start struggling and stuff, the voices got real loud real quick. (laughs) And the world started going fast. But I hit a good drive and um, uh, ended up having an opportunity to spend some time with him that night. Uh, He kind of held court and like, the, you know, kind of up above in the top of the clubhouse that night before. Had a few drinks with him. Got to hear some really, really funny stories um, and then, uh, I, then sharing around playing April and playing the tournament, I go and Toby, who was the starter, he said, you're more nervous in December, April. I was like way more nervous in December. <laughs> I said, I'm oh, used really? to this. Yeah, I guess Arnie's oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're standing four feet from Arnie and there's no one else. I mean, yeah. like, I'm sure he could hear every thought that was in my head <laughs> of what I was thinking. So, I mean, the tournament, I mean, there's pressure and everything, but that's a little bit more of what we're used to. Um, you know, sort of the the openness is something that is we're something that we're not used to, so yeah. you know, but that was a long story for a short question, but something that I don't shy away from and you know any opportunity you get a chance to go to Magnolia Land pretty incredible. I had a chance. My partner at Pebble Beach is a member um and another good friend of mine from Memphis is a member and had a chance to take a couple of my friends uh, uh the last. You know, probably six weeks or so, I took my caddy and one of my best friends from home. And, uh, man, we had probably one of the coolest trips I've ever been on. My caddy's caddied in six Masters and he's never played. Oh, my gosh. And he he played the back tees the first round. I mean, he's a good probably, you know, four or five handicapper, you know, doesn't play much. And we got on some of those back tees and he said, man, I like these holes way better when you're playing. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: awesome. That is incredible. yeah, I've got a nice little bet. I won't talk about the dollar amount, but it's a uh, a hefty bet with my best friend since third grade, Derek, uh, on who can get on Augusta National first. Whoever does it has to pay the other guy some cash. So that's what we're working for. But um, and so let's talk more about that. I mean, so do you have those moments or, or when you're a competitor, man, this is what you do for, for a living, right? This is your day job. Do you have that moment when you're walking down the 18th hole and you're like, holy smokes, name the course, right? Augusta National, Pebble, wherever it's at. Like, I'm doing this for a living.
0: I've had some moments on the good side and the bad side of that. I remember, like, I I get my my card in 2010 and then turn around, and, you know, this is when the season started in January. So, basically, you get your card in December – I got at orange County national and then turn around and I'm a rookie at Sony. And like, I played the practice round you know, I started off number 10 and I told my caddy like, man, number 10 at Sony, like if the wind's down at all, like, I mean, you drive the green. Mm. And I mean, it, it's honestly not that like tight of an area to hit. Yeah. Um Yeah. And it, we get up there, and it's, like, down off the right. Like, couldn't it be any more perfect just to ship a driver up there on the green. And I got over it. I got that driver in my hand. I'm ready to go. And this is the first shot ever on tour. And the starter's like, and now playing his first ever professional event on the PGA Tour he announces my name. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know. and, I, and, 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 and as much confidence as I had going into hitting the shot, is as little as I had once he said that, because the lights got bright and the voices yeah. got loud. I ended up hitting seven iron off the tee. And I mean, to go from driving the green to seven iron, I hit seven iron off the off the tee. I hit a wedge to like 10 feet and I made Birdie. So I made Birdie oh, my wow. first ever. But still like everyone's like, oh that's sweet, man. You made Birdie your first ever haul tour. It's like, man. I I could not have whisked out any more than I already did. So <laughs> my
1: arms are like you know, jello standing up there trying to hit.
0: And I mean, man, I'm I'm like thinking I almost need to hit three wood. I'm so amped. Like uh you know, I, I'm about to hit this thing 50 yards over the green. I'm so pumped up. And I end up hitting a seven-iron, like a chunk pull down the left side of the fairway. And uh I mean, but that's stuff like that you'll never forget. And
1: yeah.
0: you know, I had a really rough start to my Rookie year, I missed my first five cuts, and then almost made the tour championship. Ended up finishing like 40th, so kind of a a full range of emotion. But kind of everything that goes into it. There's some really unique. Everyone remembers their first time playing with Tiger. You know, the first time. You know, kind of being an event that he was a part of. um, Winning tournaments, different things like that. But but having a chance to you know, this is my 13th season on the PGA Tour, and I've had a very very fortunate to have what I consider the best job in the world and you know I don't necessarily take any day for granted you know I had some parts of my life where you know definitely it was some the waters got pretty muddy and didn't really know what was what and so I feel very fortunate to have some people come alongside me and you know push me in the right direction kind of help me you know kind of understand what a healthy lifestyle looks like and do a little bit better job of taking care of myself and all the different things so I can you know pursue a career for a long time and and be the husband and father that my kids deserve, and and my wife deserves, and and to try to be a good steward of of an opportunity that the game is has given me, and I try to do whatever I possibly can to to leave it better than I found it, and to use the opportunities that it provides to, you know, help create different environments and better environments for those kind of around me.
1: Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's spend some more time on that. I mean, you went from a guy. Um, you know I, what i had in my notes here for my research going from 252 to 252 pounds down to like what 190 195 i mean what was that knock on the knock on the shoulder if you will or that hey man let's let's get your attention because it's hard to go from where you were to where you're at now right they call you one of the best shaped guys on tour how did how I was did
0: you it I, I i was a shape to now sort of in shape that's what i tell everybody <laughs> i was a shape, <laughs> a shape yeah um man it was you know sort of a combination of just as long as as long as I played good I could do (coughs) excuse me whatever I wanted you know there was not really and it wasn't like man I was like drinking partying whatever it wasn't anything like that it was just I was (laughs) there was no plan it was I kind of ate what I I wanted wanted. I I, I, I traveled like man I I got a good buddy of mine uh that has a saying he's like man I rode all the rides like I, if there if there was a cool place to eat if there was breakfast lunch dinner you know whatever I mean there was no habit in there that gave you any indication that I was a professional athlete and you know people kind of attribute that a bunch of different ways but truly man I, like my diet my sleep you know my training that was zero uh you know all those things you know were just I was sort of like a ticking time bomb as far as just a kind of a recipe for disaster. And unfortunately, like I was the direct recipient of it, it was no one's fault but my own. So, um, you know, thankfully I had some people come around me. I was about 30 years old and I just was tired of feeling like crap and started asking some questions. And then, you know, everyone always says, man, you remember that anybody that's ever trained, anyone that's ever tried to make that improvement in their life when they go and it's like, all right, I'm gonna do something. I got one of my closest friends. He just got some health insurance uh, redone said, man, I saw uh, I saw a number on the scale I hadn't seen. They gave me a few months to kind of get it back together, and then I can reapply. And he comes, and he's like gung-ho. Like, man, he's ready to run through a brick wall. And we give him this 20-minute workout, and it literally just put him on the ground. And it was nothing. Like, nothing to – where's that first moment? Like, you're going to get worse before you get better? I mean, there was getting worse, and then there was what I did, which was literally having the wheels fall off.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And – but I I needed to have that. I needed to understand that, you know, I was my fault as far as how I got there. And, you know, this is it. Like, I don't know what you guys can see, but this is my body. This is all I get. And I need to be a good steward of that and, and take care of the things that it provides and, you know, put myself in a little bit better spot where it is at least a conscious effort to try to improve myself mentally, physically, you know, whatever that is each and every day to try to be better than I was the day before. And, um, I didn't do it alone. I had a bunch of incredible people, way smarter than me, kind of helped push me in that right direction. And it kind of helped me to get to where I am today. I never set out to do the fitness thing ever. So did, they, ever. did they
1: come to you and tell, like, somebody you know and trust and respect and say, hey, dude, man, to have a long term success, you got to, you got to, change this direction or was it more
0: internally like you're sitting there and you know you're like crap man I I need to change what I'm doing here and then you a a, a little bit more like that and I had a really good guy my trainer PT Adam Curley he made we worked together for a while and you know he sort of kind of helped put me back together when I was coming back off the road Um, and you know kind of had a transition point in his life where he had an opportunity to go and travel with us you know on the PGA Tour And we always joke that when we first started working together, like his goal was to try to get me to go to the gym. Now it's like, do you want to practice today? Like, all right, you, your workout's 45 minutes or, you know, now it's like the opposite. So he's like tampering. He said, man, I've been on both ends of the spectrum and, you know, now we've kind of found like a good middle ground. (laughs) So
1: well, that's good. That's good. So talk about that, man. Talk about, like, what is that fitness plan for you? Obviously, when you're traveling, I'm assuming when you're on tour in the week, you're, you're still doing some things, but the harder workouts are done at home. So what does that look like for you, in, including, you know, sleep, uh, recovery? I think you wear a whoop bracelet. I wear one of those, too. Those things are phenomenal information. Um, and so what's that like for you, that, that accountability, sleep, recovery, all that?
0: yeah, I tell people a lot. It's not a matter of if and when it's a matter of what time of day, that's that is applicable to everything. And uh, like just cause you can doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. And there's like I got a lot of like these random one liner zingers that just sort of stick with me. My one for twenty three is, I don't want to deal with problems that I inherited. I want to deal with problems that I created. And you know people like there's like all problems aren't bad things. Like I was telling you about my travel. Uh, earlier like that travel problem that I have right now it's not really a problem it's a great thing it's something I worked very hard to have the opportunity but still like it's still travel it's you know a long way from home and you know kind of all the other different things that kind of go along with it but just managing it and kind of understanding you know, and try to put yourself in situations where you at least have your hand on a little bit of everything and, you know, try to do your best to not be blindsided by certain situations that you had nothing to do with. And that's applicable for everything. That's life, family, relationships, business, golf, all sorts of things. And so that was kind of my goal for 23. And, you know, if it kind of stays outside that parameter, I really don't want to have much to do with it. And, you know, help me be a little more focused on the things that I, you know, with, with my family, with my life, with my career, and kind of all those different things. So yeah.
1: so it leads me to Mike Riley, a buddy of mine, Mike Riley. He, uh, he I asked some guys some questions, and he said, well, how do you set your expectations for the year? And, and so let's talk about that. But before we go into that great question is, I wrote down, I don't want to deal with problems I inherited. I want to deal with problems I created. That is phenomenal. So how did you come up with that? What's that thinking? And then to Mikey's point is, how do you set those expectations for the year?
0: Well, that it, it came out of a conversation with uh, one of my really close buddies, um, and we were talking about, we had a friend of ours uh, get audited, and we mm. somehow, just a very long conversation about all the new IRS, and I could care less about talking about all that, but just like, man, like, you know, professional athletes are just, you know, our pr- prime target, especially yeah. people that are independent contractors, and You know, basically, our entire life's a write-off in some way, shape, or form, and and I was like, man, I am, I am not getting, I am not dealing with an IRS person over something I had nothing to do with, and it just started manifested out of that, and I just didn't ever thought about it again. And the more and more I just found myself started, you know, different things, and and you know, I found myself being a part of conversations, uh, you know, on tour you know, you bring up live, you bring up all these different things like, man, I have nothing to do with that. I have literally nothing to do with that. Uh, You know, sort of my thoughts on it are one thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, that that doesn't mean anything. So I'm not really going to mess around with it. It sort of just found to be more and more applicable. And it just came to I want to I want to deal with problems that deal with me (laughs) and not deal with anything like you know, outside of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis between my wife, you know, my family and my career and kind of all those things are intertwined. And that's kind of how it started. And so now I figured out a way to make that applicable to everything.
1: It's a great quote, man. It really is. And so how do you, what's that look like for you? Do you sit down in November, December, maybe now, whatever the time frame is. And do you, I mean, obviously you got a plan for next year. You got to know when you're playing and when the tournaments are and stuff, but do you have, like, are you a goal setter, a goal planner, and if so, how do you how do you walk through that process?
0: Uh, yes and no. Um, a little bit more of like a mindset, and that's kind of it. Like I, you know, like or we'll pick a thought or this and that. Like twenty twenty two, we called it uh, the the word was variance, and my stats and analytics guy Hunter Stewart came to me in Napa in September of that would be twenty one, kind of transferring, you know, kind of how the fall season yeah. goes into the regular season. And he said, you need to create as much variance as you possibly can in your game. He said, you know, you're basically, you're you're stagnant. And he said, you're a guy that's going to gain two, three, four shots a week. He said, you're just getting your head beat in. He said, I'd rather you lose 10, gain 15, and net five over the course of the week where you're going to miss a cut by 12 and almost win. He said, that's the guy that's going to make it through a championship. He said, you need to become more like that guy. And so that was kind of the idea. So I was with him last week uh, in Cartersville with my coach uh scott hamilton and we were just kind of talking a little bit about it and before you started recording you know have a couple different areas to improve as far as golf wise um but the same thing like you know take a little bit more ownership of, of some of the areas that need to uh, improve upon but it's not necessarily like all right i want to win i want to make tour championship i want to have an opportunity to make uh, a cup team like if you're on the pga tour and those are not your goals you're doing the wrong thing yeah like so i think that stuff kind of goes without saying but it's like little intangible stuff. Like I went uh the the previous year I would in the you know short game area, I was losing strokes uh very, very minuscule, but over the amount of time of volume of rounds that we play, I was losing strokes from basically like a quarter of a shot. It, it ended up being three quarters of a shot a tournament from inside 30 yards. And transfer a year past by just changing a little bit of game planning a little bit of strategy and a little bit of practice i ended up gaining two and a quarter so that's a three shot improvement and all i did was work on one area so three shots over the course of 31 events is a lot
1: well and you look at even the money right i mean the from the number one player in the world to the number 100 player in the world you're you're talking you know a stroke or two right i mean that's Mm -hmm there's not much difference and that's what people don't think about is the difference in those, in those golfers and what it means to your family, you know, financially. So it's a big deal. And before we started recording, you showed me your track man and all that stuff and, and you were getting your, your variances, I assuming dialed in to where you would talk about, you know, this sand wedge game. So walk our listeners through that. What, what does that look like for you? How are you dialing in these wedges and what are you working on there?
0: Uh, a little bit of it's sort of a, like a practice goal of, you know, like this, I don't know if this is technically a golf podcast or whatever, but if you have some golfers on there, I've got a very unique delivery in the fact that I don't have a very big backswing, but I can hit the ball pretty far, you know, a little bit in the sense of like, you know, I have really long arms and sort of a relatively, you know, shorter frame, you know, relative to the length of my arms. So it looks like I don't take the club back very far, but when you deal with off-speed shots and knock and, you know, sort of like not full, It's a very, very small window in regards to like what's full and what's like half because my backswing is basically almost half as it is. (laughs) (laughs) So trying to develop a little bit better plan for like off-speed shots like Pebble Beach, you know, not a lot of spin, you know, kind of getting ready, a lot of wind at Kapalua and kind of just developing like a little bit more of a game plan and and a, a template as far as, you know, how far certain clubs can go based off of, you know, sort of swing speed and a little bit of just, it's not necessarily like I think on the course, like, all right, my swing at 80 miles an hour, but the more repetition and everything you go, it's like, all right, I know what that feels like. And I know how to fit these shots into these certain windows as I have, you know, kind of based off of there, it's kind of a different way to practice because I don't really have enough of a backswing in my full swing to sort of create what they call like a clock method Um, because basically my backswing stops at about nine o'clock as it is (laughs) on a full one. So um, just different things like that. And, you know, kind of make, you know, figuring out ways to practice where, you know, be a little bit more creative and I'm not a range guy. I don't like hitting balls, but I can sit there and kind of mess around on a track man and, you know, kind of find little nuanced things here and there, as far as, you know, maybe kind of pick up, you know, a, a little bit of more consistency in certain areas and, you know, kind of work around from there
1: so what advice if any maybe because you're you're so darn good at golf you probably don't understand what the the average joe like myself and even higher handicappers what we deal with but what what's one thing you would tell us that we need to probably work on most uh knowing we don't have a lot of time to practice and all that stuff
0: work on your chipping setup because most people they get the face right and the feet left to try to get the loft to go on there but really if you look at the best players in the world we put most most of the best players in the world, when they come to chipping and pitching the ball, they go squared or shut, which Hmm. means at least – so imagine, like, if you have your feet and your club face, like at some point they're going away from each other. you are trying to make the ball go straight. So you're dealing with a lot of timing, and you're dealing with a lot of slippage, like the ball kind of slides up the face. You know, so having a consistent – I got a really good buddy of mine, uh, a New England guy and he's like man I, you know, I, I finally kind of get my game into a spot then it gets cold and I kind of lose like give me something I need to work on so I just gave him some simple like chipping setup advice It's like man if you can learn to play from a square setup and make where the ball contacts first especially people that deal with like winter golf and you know coming out of like snow and everything when you go back and play I mean, especially where you are you deal with really cold weather go back snow ice all the stuff that kind of goes in and then you get that, like, nasty mush. And ball first is important, kind of all the stuff that kind of goes along with it and, and everything. And um, so, you know, that would be the thing that I would work on. And then understand, the, you know, play more break. Those are two uh, simple things that I would kind of work right. from there.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because on chipping, I would consider myself a pretty good chipper, but I, I'm I do have my feet open and my club more at the target, right? So if I'm I'm open here, I'm going right there at the yeah. target. That's that's how i have chipped my whole life. Yeah,
0: but but if people have like the flagstick here, face, you know, face here, feet there, like at some point it becomes luck. No, oh, absolutely. It, 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 if people operate off a square club face and they manipulate their setup kind of around there. And that's kind of a, a good place to go from there.
1: So you're going right. Your feet are aiming at the target, and your club head is, and you're you're like yeah. this. Or did I hear you,
0: you're yeah, yeah. No, it's it's body and and feet shut to the target, right? And face is at the target, and okay. kind of work off of and kind of work off of that. So where you can kind of keep loft and present loft as much as you possibly can. You watch those like old like semi Ballesteros videos and like Pete Cowan in the bunker. They get shut and drop the hands where the club kind of stay, and they can keep loft on it. So just kind of a different way to kind of think about it.
1: Well, I know I'm doing the offseason. <laughs> Changing my pitching game. Um, yep. But back to mindset, man. On, on days that maybe, especially early on in your transition um, to where you're at today, how, what was the mindset preparation to get you to the point where even on days you didn't want to do it, you showed up?
0: i uh, I mean n- nothing you know worth having came easy, and you know I'm not sitting here trying to just bang you with quotes all day, but I mean wow. at some point like at some point, like you got to take a look at it, the fact of like, man, truly want to aspire to be one of the best players in the world, like you know, no one's going to give it to me. like I could think of a million things I would rather be doing today than running through this wedge test that I'm about to do when we're done, but I know that at the end of the day like it's going to help propel me and do the thing. Like I'm going to wish that I did it instead of, you know, coming back, you know, and being, and regretting that, you know, I'd rather feel that that way, be, be proud and understanding the opportunity that I, I took the time and effort to try to help you know me get better, whatever that is, instead of being in a situation where I was like, I should have done, I should have worked a little bit harder. I should have done this. I should have done that. Like I don't operate in the past. I don't operate in the would have, should have, could have, but I do. I kind of have that in my in the front of my mind while that while everything is sort of taking place. Yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense. It makes me think of a quote I just pulled it out here that uh, Trevor Moawad, uh, unfortunately passed away, but the author of "It Takes What It Takes." If you're a reader, read that book. It was phenomenal. But uh, he said, "Average people become average by doing average shit. Average is a choice. Greatness is a choice. There is no magic, only decisions." And I've got that written down in this journal I work because I just. I absolutely love it, right? It is a choice. The power of choice is huge, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And I think people like the – I help the Tennessee golf team here in, in Knoxville where I live. And it's funny just the mindset as far as, you know, they had a coaching transition a few years ago and just the different things. And, you know, I, one day I was just kind of over this kid just kind of peppered me with questions. And, you know, sort of just like a little bit like, you know, smart ass, you know, freshman whatever and a kid that I've known for a long time and I was like man at some point you're going to understand that I'm truly trying to aspire to be one of the best players in the world and your nonsense questions are doing me no good so yes I am going to train today and I am going to do something to work on my game so that being a prerequisite if you have any other questions that are different than that please go ahead I'll be happy to answer it but if you're asking me did I work out just for the sense of like wasting air you're wasting both of our times yeah and that's the same thing i was like you know it, 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 the question should be all right what can i do to continue to to try to want to do those kind of things instead of just thinking about bs questions just going to waste both of our time so i completely agree with that and understanding that you know i mean the perfect example i had to figure out a time to train today uh we took my uh, my wife and my kids went to the grand Ole opry rushed home last night got home about one thirty, literally just I mean, peeling my eyeballs back and coming in, it's like, man, I got to hit the ground running because if I don't do it in the morning, my day is going to get away from me, have some Christmas stuff this afternoon. It's like, I got to get up, get the kids, you know, to school kind of whenever they decide to wake up and it's time to get it in and then kind of do this kind of stuff and kind of yeah. go, not a matter, not a matter if and when, just a matter of what time to kind of fit it in. And, you know, I do a lot of reverse engineering. Like I, I kind of plan my day out ahead and kind of understand the best way to kind of create a little bit of margin if I have to and, I mean that's all choice. Like I don't have to do that. But no. I can sit there and and spin my wheels and waste time and and be inefficient and and frustrate everyone around me including myself. And um, so just taking a little bit of more time and effort going into, you know, planning that out, you know, goes a long way for everybody, myself but included. I just I think it
1: comes down to integrity, right? I mean, I think about to you you know what you just mentioned there. I don't want to gloss over that. I mean, you're out till one thirty, right? Doing the grand Ole Opry with wife and kids, you know, there's a thousand things you could think of than sitting with Brett Gillan on the circuit of success, but yet it's integrity. You committed and you're doing it right. Whether you wanted mm-hmm. to be here today or not, you're here. Right. And you showed up mm-hmm. and I think that's part of life too. Right. And we're chasing greatness, whether it's in golf or business,
0: you just got to show up man, and you got to do the freaking work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big thing too. Like, you know, being a part of what you committed to and kind of understanding all those things uh, is a big part of it. You know, it's like like any person you know you quit once it's easier to quit again you start getting the reputation of a flake or different things like that and that's applicable to everything yeah that's your family your relationships all those things that kind of come in and doing those things like so and even if it's the motivation i don't want to be that person like that's enough for some people but i think it kind of like carries yourself just by the way they kind of go into a lot of different things but you know uh, and there was, to be honest, how we got ourselves in that situation. Uh, it helps if you look at the kids' school calendar. We were convinced our kids got out of school on Friday. They don't actually get out of school till this Wednesday. And both of them have their school uh, parties and everything. So they were adamant, It's like, hey, we want to go to this, but you're getting us back. And I'm like, hey, I'm made for this. The mini tours and college golf built me for driving through the night. I'm ready.
1: You're ready. So yep. I'm in. Dusting off the dust and getting it going. That, yeah. that leads me actually some question that Timmy Riley, Mikey's brother, uh, wanted to talk about. He played golf at University of Illinois, and he said, "When you were on the uh, NGA Hooters Tour, how did you how did you fund it? And what did you what was your typical week like
0: on that?" Um, we were actually telling some mini tour stories to my son last night. I said, "Buddy, like on mini tours, like you have no money to stay in a hotel or anything, so you basically would drive through the night to." find any opportunity a place that would let you crash on their couch or a house or kind of whatever that looked like so yeah. you know i i was very fortunate i had a lot of people kind of come around me i had a good amount of sponsors that kind of got me going my first couple of years of, and kind of allowed my wife and i to be together yeah. and uh you know planes trains automobiles we stayed in a single wide at a tournament um we did a We did, like, when I say a bus, like, this was not a good bus. Like, this was (laughs) like a bad bus. Uh, Anything that you can think of to get to and from a tournament, you know, uh, everyone has said, if you could write a country song about your career. I said, man, single wides to private jets. I said, we've done it all.
1: (laughs) You've done it all.
0: uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a country song in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just got to add a dog to it or something, which I think. You got, so. Yeah,
0: very much so. Uh,
1: any, are you superstitious?
0: No, I'm not. I'm probably so superstitious about not being superstitious. I, I would say I'm very routine and my caddy and my wife would probably be better because they they're would. they kind of like the same person uh, <laughs> just as far as their personalities. Uh, my wife is significantly better looking than my caddy. Um,
1: <laughs> That's good.
0: Uh, but uh, just as far as their personality, they probably could tell some stuff that I would do that I don't realize I do. Yeah. Especially when I'm playing. Cause my wife said like, I don't even need to see it. It's you, I can see about two or three mannerisms. And I'm like, yeah, that's him. That's him out there. Yeah. So.
1: Well, and think about your wife too, man, back to those days when you're, you know, you're not on the private jets, you're on the, the crappy bus. I mean, think of that support, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, We started, we told some hilarious stories and, you know, think about like mindset and some of those pinch me moments and different things like that. We had this one tournament where it, I mean, basically we tried to play golf in a hurricane and it was the hardest rain I've ever seen in my life. And we did, this is before Netflix, this is before anything. This is when Redbox first came out. So just think about how old I am. (laughs) Um, And we went in, and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do because it was essentially they were canceling the tournament for three days. And then we were going to just have like a two-day just free-for-all, play as much golf as we could once the storm passed. And uh, I went in, and we needed a DVD player because this place we were staying was pretty much – barely had four walls, And but it had a TV. It's like, man, we're just going to hammer some red box, just be inside. It's not really safe to – you know, storm's awful. And I remember telling – It's like, I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to buy this uh, DVD player. And if I play bad, I'm going to return it because we literally have zero money. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, just something to kind of occupy our time for the next few days. Well, I ended up burning the last hole uh, in the tournament, and I finished third. And I made $16,800. That's the biggest check I'd ever made in my career. And this is my 15th year as a pro, 13th year on the tour. I still have that DVD player.
1: No, that's awesome.
0: Like, every time I see it, I look at it, I think about that time. I know exactly I could take you to that Walmart, to that aisle in Savannah, Georgia, and just remember just grinding on it. Like, man, how am I really going to spend? It was $39. And I mean, that's truly like, I mean, I had some great dudes come around me and support me, but I mean, you know. $39 39 bucks to play a practice round in a course that you're getting ready to do a Monday qualifier at, or 39 bucks to kind of occupy your time in the middle of nowhere in Savannah. Like, I mean, those are conversations you had to have in the miniatures, yeah. And I think uh, uh, I mentioned a good buddy of mine with the Cubs, uh, when he was playing Winter Le Ball. he said they went to this place and they couldn't afford uh, any of the room service or anything at this place where he was playing. And, you know, basically, they were taking water from the field, and uh, they have a very similar story to us, and they have a George Foreman, like, sandwich maker. I mean, it was like $30 again, and you, they have a beautiful home uh, here in Tennessee, and you go, and they have this, you're like, what in the world is this thing doing here? It's like, yep, it's staying. Like, that'll be that'll be with us forever. And so we don't even know if it works, but it's sure. staying. It's staying. Um, well, it's just a mental just, piece, right? I mean, yeah. you, you think about where you came from. Yeah, very much so, and I think a bunch of people, you know, throughout your career, you need to have different things. You need to have things you aspire to, but you have to have other things around you that remind you of of kind of where you came from and understanding how not to lose that. And um, I've got a a wife that fills me with humility on a daily basis and uh, and, and challenges me in a lot of different ways to kind of be a, a better person in a lot of different areas. And but that's one of those things that I look on and you know, very happy to have been a part of my career and, and something that I look at and it's a conversation piece or whatever. Cause I don't know the last time someone actually used a DVD player um, just with all the stuff that kind of goes along, but Hey, we have one and it, it, it'll be with us for a long time. I love
1: it. I love it. Uh, last two topics. I could talk all day, man, uh, on this stuff, but uh, I want to talk uh, live golf. And I want to talk about some bourbon. You okay with those two topics?
0: I oh, know I should have some bourbon and then we can really get into it, and it live and I mean who knows what I might say. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I told
1: you my goal is to not make
0: the headlines on this stuff.
1: So but but I do want to talk about the uh the LIV golf stuff and what your thoughts are on it. Give us your perspective there.
0: I think LIV uh has pushed the tour into make some changes that they probably were in the process of making and kind of fast-tracked them in. There were going to be some players that took advantage of the situation and myself was included. Um I had a lot of um, opportunities this past season that I probably wouldn't have, have otherwise. I mean, making the tour championship, understanding all the stuff that went in with making it to East Lake and the exemption and uh, Maui and majors and all the different things that go in, affect our world ranking. Um, you know, I was one of those uh, beneficiaries. Um, I think uh, the tour is a little short-sighted in regarding to how they viewed the threat of live you know, sort of as like, hey, this is not going to happen. I wish they would have done a little bit better job as far as, you know, preparing for the, you know, the sort of shock and awe that came. Oh, they actually did it. It's like, yeah, they're going to do it. But at the end of the day, I think the, the PGA Tour is the best tour in the world. I think that live is a, is an exhibition and it's a, it's it's very entertaining. Um, I'm not sure exactly how viable it is in terms of the way that their business plan is and with TV. And that's, again, I know nothing about that. So I'm going to try to give my opinions on things that I know, not things that I hope or speculate. But I think that like them saying they had the best players in the world, they do have their roster is very strong as far as guys that have accomplished a lot, but they have a a decent amount of guys who were just the first people to say yes. Like there's no legacy. There's no, understanding of how to qualify, you know, there's, you know, no one had to go dig it in the dirt like Tiger was saying and, and figure it out and, and, and qualify to gain status. I mean, they signed their name on a piece of paper and, and, you know, kind of, you know, hitched themselves to a to a horse that, that didn't really know what direction it was going in. And yeah. um, I think that uh, it pushed the tour to kind of understand they needed to change some things, which I was a huge proponent of uh, as long as I've been on tour. Um, And I think we're going to continue to see that evolve. Um, I think the tour has a big transition year in 2023, uh, preparing for 24 with the new schedule and some new partnerships that are coming along. And it'll be very interesting to see how uh, the fans and the players kind of react to, you know, for the – I think there'll be some that are very, very positive. I think some that'll be pretty controversial yeah
1: and i think too i mean they they don't have their story, right i mean think about that dvd story i think back even through my career the things i used to do and going and driving across god's green earth at eight o'clock at night to go to somebody's house and i mean just grind 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 i don't think even the young guys the guys that don't even know who they are that are signing there they're not going to have those moments and i think there's a lot to learn about life and about the grind and about winning in, in those moments don't you
0: yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, but that's not to say that, like, I was just not given an offer. Like, it's pretty easy to say, oh, I did it. I turned it down. It's like, yeah. I mean, like, so I never really had to, you know, face the music there or anything. You know, I I think there's a, a lot of scenarios where, uh, sorry, one second. My I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing my dog. <laughs> uh, but I think there's a lot of scenarios where, you know, it's pretty easy to say, oh, I did this, I did that, when you didn't really had to face a, you know, a whatever, a 10-figure offer or, or whatever, yeah. you know, people were getting. I think it was a lot easier to sit there and, like, you know, who knows what I'd have done in that situation. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm looking forward to the opportunities I have to play on the PGA Tour. And, you know, hopefully they'll continue to adjust uh, for the better to kind of, you know, help us and continue to help us be the best tour in the world.
1: Love it. Love it. Uh, let's change the subject to some bourbon now. What, what are you thinking there? What if I had to ask you that? What's your favorite bourbon? If you had one bottle, you could have the rest of your life. What? What is it?
0: If somebody gave me a uh, a barrel of, uh, I would probably do a barrel proof Taylor, and that would that would probably be it. I would give away everything else I have. And mm. that would that's just, one that I don't have, I don't have the barrel proof. Uh, that's a hard one to find, man. Yeah, that's a, 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 a high proof weeder is kind of my preference, and uh, you know, I can be a fast consumer in a lot of different ways. And so a little bit of bite and a little bit of proof goes a long way for me. I like
1: it. So, what do you see the future of bourbon, man? Because it's crazy right now. And then, I mean, just even going to my local gas station
0: here and what they're wanting to
1: charge for some of these Wellers or other things, it's nuts.
0: Yeah, I think there'll be a big uh, pullback and kind of where you get the year of authenticity in terms of their branding. And, uh, you know, 60% of the bourbon market in the United States comes from the same distillery. And, uh, You know, in the middle of Indiana, it's just kind of a marketing play and different things like that. And I think people are playing on, you know, thoughts, feelings, and emotions, you know, creating a brand around a story, not necessarily what's it, you know, because what was in the bottle and what was in the barrel used to matter. And it should matter to a lot of people instead of necessarily what the label says. And, you know, people play way more time and and attention into the label and the story behind it instead of actually what the the story that went into making the juice. So I'm way more on that side and, you know, uh, like, I'm a tailor guy, any wheat, but, like, you give me some aged wild turkey and or some old school, like, Heaven Hill, and, man, I'm going to have no problems. <laughs> I
1: love it. Yeah, the um, I, I love the horse soldier story, man, that, you know, every one of those bottles is made, touches the steel from September 11th or from the uh, mm-hmm. Twin Towers. I think that's a pretty mm-hmm. cool
0: story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, and they do a good job, and those guys are, man, they – drink some rocket fuel (laughs) down there and I just think that there's a you know you know there's some opportunities to kind of tell stories and there's some opportunities to kind of make them up and you know unfortunately the way that that world is is sort of 50-50 their story is incredible and you can go just down the aisle and you know it's the same juice and someone's trying to tell the complete opposite story and you know And when you start understanding the business model of it and how you start source and how you then you pot and still and then you kind of go whether you call them and then you age and mix and batch and all the different ways to create a business and a brand out of, you know, something that takes a long time to create. Uh, It's a wild world and uh, something I'm very interested in and, um, you know, very fortunate to kind of learn from a lot of different people that are way better at me, not only in golf and fitness, but uh, the bourbon world as well.
1: I say it sounds like you're dialing in that bourbon knowledge, just like you're down a uh, 56 degree wedge, man. <laughs> Maybe we'll see some future stuff coming out of Scott Stallings for some bourbon or something. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, um, I got a
0: long, I got, a, I got a long way to go in that department. Uh,
1: what's uh, final questions here? What, what, uh, what is something you know with the, this crazy schedule you have? That your passions that you wish you had more time to, uh, to, to do?
0: Our kids play free program, uh, something that we do a lot with in in Tennessee. Uh, We're adding more courses and different things and just be more hands-on on on the day-to-day. Like I do events, uh, some dinners, golf tournaments kind of throughout. But just to be a little bit more involved with the new beginners and kind of see that first time where the kids have a chance to, you know, touch a club for the first time. That's kind of the goal of the program, just take away all the variables of time, cost, and availability and kind of giving people a chance to, you know, to learn from the game that's given me more than I deserve. and so. I wish I had a little bit more time for that. Um, My wife has really started taking up uh, tennis and playing. And I said, if I could take some time, I think I could be pretty good at it. But if you play about three times a year, you're not getting better at anything. So that would be probably it.
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, man, thanks so much, Scott, for being on the circuit of success. Like I said, you got a million things, a million different directions you can go. So appreciate the wisdom. A lot of takeaways here for me today in the circuit of success. And appreciate your time.
0: Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on and uh, I'm sure we'll see you guys again.